What's good? Welcome to the What's Good Podcast. I'm your host, Milton Young. Doing a solo podcast tonight. Episode 6. Thank you for joining. Matter of fact, thank everybody for listening. Uh, I appreciate the support. It's been overwhelming. Overwhelmingly positive, which is which is great. I didn't I didn't think it was gonna be this good. Um just the feedback. You know, it's a lot of support. I'm a big person about speaking things into existence. You'll hear me mention that a lot on the podcast and throughout conversations. Uh it's a big thing. And uh I've been I've been talking about this for a few years now opportunity for me to kind of make this thing bring into fruition presented itself recently so i kind of jumped on it and um, i'm glad that i did so i'm very excited to be able to be your host and share some of these conversations i'm going to be having with some amazing guests i have a nice list of uh, guests that are going to be joining the show over the next few weeks um it's just great stuff. I mean, I can't tell you. I can't. I can't. I can't tell you how excited I am. So I'll just try to talk about it. Right. Uh, we'll jump. We'll jump right into it. So, uh, a lot of you really don't know a lot about me, Milton Young, um, and that's that's not really going to matter as much because I really don't want the show to be focused on me. You're going to be learning about me as we talk to all the different guests and some really um, amazing conversations, but. The real focus on the podcast is really for you guys to get some gems from some like some really amazing people that I'm blessed to know or be associated with or be in contact with or be able to just have on the show. And I hope and the purpose is is so that you take away from every conversation some gem that kind of just, you know, alters the way that you think about something or inspires you to do something um, that you haven't done before or changes your mind or perception or perspective on something. You know, um, and I think a lot of it is just going to come from trying things, you know, trying to move forward. That part of the my logo says keep it moving. And it, it, it that's true. No matter what, especially in jujitsu, just like in death, if your hips are flat, you're dead. So what do you do? You keep moving no matter what. Your hips cannot go flat. And that's one thing you'll you see in uh, tournaments. Um, from our side, our team will be yelling, don't let your hips go flat, because if they go flat, you can't move, you're pinned. So it's the same thing with life, you know, you always want to be moving, always want to be active, and a lot of these people that are going to be coming on the show, they're active people, they're always moving, they're trying new things, or whatever they're trying, they're hyper-focused on it. And people, when you interact with them, have conversations with them, um, you get gems, you know, so individually, I hope every one of you guys can kind of identify with some piece or part of the conversation that we're having and just help to kind of drive this thing at the next level. Some of the guests that I'm going to be having, um, I'm excited to announce. Some of them are going to be fighting in November, November 24th. I'm in Cage Wars. I think it's Cage War 39. Uh, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but it's either 39 or 40. And it's going to be at the Turning Stone Casino in Schenectady. Um, Two of the fighters, I'm trying to finalize the dates to have them on the show. Ideally, I like to have them on the show prior to the fight and then again after the fight. Just to see where they are mentally, where they are training, how they feel. Um, I just think it's a great opportunity to people for people to see where these people are mentally before they go into a fight. You know Where they put themselves, how they're training, how they're eating, 
how they're sleeping, how they're thinking. Um, everyone does it differently. And I think it's important to kind of, kind of see that. Um, I'm very fortunate that I'm close to people that fight professionally. And these people have switches that I don't know if I, I think everyone has that animalistically inside of them. It's, it's there, but not everyone's putting themselves in a cage and waiting for that cage to close for that to click over and to see how people prepare for that. Uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And it doesn't take, it doesn't take like someone that's, you know, super into martial arts to be able to appreciate it, but just to see, you know, what brought them, to the point in their life that they wanted to step into a ring or step into a cage and fight somebody else. And you'll be surprised at some of the answers. And you'll be surprised at the levels they take in terms of the, the mental preparation, the physical preparation. Everyone sees UFC, and they I don't think they really appreciate it for what it is. I don't think they appreciate it, the sacrifice that these fighters make for their families, with themselves, with their bodies, how injured they are. And that I don't think, and that's why it bothers me that when it finally gets put on this huge platform and these two fighters like Connor and Khabib, they have, they draw the biggest audience that the sport has ever seen and then it's destroyed by the end by some, um, not over, yeah, overreaction. I think that's the best way to put that. It's an overreaction. Um, to say that it's not a justified action, overreaction is it's a whole other podcast. But it was a shame for people to see that because that's not really what the sport represents. That's not what martial arts represents. And that's what those that's not what those people inside that cage that are fighting each other represent. You know? Um what I've learned through jujitsu and training in martial arts is that those people that are in that cage they're expressing themselves, right? And they both agree to express themselves within certain guidelines, regulation, protection. And um, they're being free, but they respect each other, you know? And that's one thing I think I will give to Conor McGregor and I'll give to a lot of the athletes that I see in a lot of these fights that are real. Like, these people are really hitting each other. It's not like some sports that they're pretending to be throwing around or people are really trying to inflict real damage on these people. And then, if things don't get called right or if people don't move the right way, things can get broken and things people can get knocked out and there can be damage that you can walk around with for the rest of your life. But these two fighters, they respect each other because there are rules and throughout that they're always thinking about these rules in the back of their mind. Um, and, you know, for some of these people, this is all they, they can do. Not for all of them, but some of them is all they can do. And they do it at such a level, it's it's absolutely amazing. It's just like a lawyer knowing the book, the law inside out, page to page. Some of these fighters, man, they know technique the same way. Like, when someone's throwing a punch, there's not just you're lifting your fist and swinging it. It's so much mechanic from your toe all the way up to the tip of your your fist where it's, you know, you're, where you're pivoting through your hips or your shoulders or your back. It's... It's amazing and how they execute all these things, how they move. And a lot of it's because they've dedicated so much of their time to it. That's so just fascinating. So I'm excited to have those guests on the show, martial arts. Um, it's just going to be a fun topic for me. It's something that over the last three years has become a really big a part of my life and a motivating factor in a lot of things that I do that I wouldn't do 
if I hadn't um, come across jujitsu. A part of that is because of another the way that we look at things. You know, it's the more you get comfortable with an uncomfortable situation, the left uncomfortable it is. Um, and that's it with anything. Anything that you can think of, thought of in your life that you've ever done, from bench pressing to running to fighting to, well, maybe you haven't fought. So even sex, you know, flirting with the guy, flirting with the girl, all of those things, they're uncomfortable. But the more you do them, the less uncomfortable they get, you know. Um, it's the same thing with martial arts. It's the same thing with going on stage with comedy. And through martial arts, being aware that, you know, What's the worst something someone could do if I went on stage is not laugh. That means the joke wasn't funny. So guess what? Try another one. And that's kind of the mentality I had going into comedy. And in doing that, I ended up taking a class. and ended up doing really, really good at the end of the class. And decided it's something I want to continue to do. So I'm going to use this platform to keep you updated on what's going on with comedy. Um, what's going on with the shows. I'm also going to be able having guests that are comedians, local comedians. Um, when I travel, I'm, I'll have comedians that aren't local, but are comedians nonetheless. And we'll talk about their journey, things that they learned, what inspired them, what got them into comedy. I have some really, really talented um, guests that are going to be coming on the show that I'm super excited to to interview or have a conversation with. You know, so. I just started taking classes again. Um, October 27th was my first class. There's 11 guys in the class. Um, all really, really cool guys. A little disappointed that there's not a female in the class. Only because whenever there's a female comedian, it just it kind of breaks up the show. It always it kind of, and it does kind of keep the other guys intact. Because they're like, I don't know, they, 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 they don't necessarily come with an attitude that they have something to prove but they kind of do. So they go a little bit harder and it just motivates everybody else, you know, which I like. It's not a bad thing. It's not a chip on their shoulder or anything, but they just, they just work a little bit harder than guys, you know? Um, no, I'm not saying that saying across the board, but just the few times that I've been in a class, just watching the girls, they do, they, they work harder and making sure their jokes are polished. They take it a little bit more serious because their family's coming and their friends are coming and they just want to, they want to impress them. So, that and then that kind of drives the rest of the class to go a little bit harder you know i remember last year when i took the well i've only been doing comedy now for about seven months and when i took the class we had three females in the class and they all kicked ass they were all really really talented um but they just worked extra hard when they when it was time to hand in jokes their jokes were done they'd gone through them a few times and then just ran through it so we're not going to have that dynamic in the class but the other 11 guys there they seem like they're um um, they're all different. Everyone comes from a different background. We have a couple lawyers. We have a couple IT guys, an engineer, um, some, some college students that look really talented, young, funny guys. So I'm interested to see how that class comes together. I'm going to have some of those guys, hopefully all 11. I don't know how I'm going to do that within six weeks, but whatever guys we can have on the show, we'll have on the show and some we'll have after the show. Um, but I want to give you some perspective on what they're going through and what they're experiencing as we go through, um, so I'm gonna have guys that do comedy. Come on here, and we're gonna talk about that. I also like hunting. I never hunted. I've shot a gun a couple times. Um, I used to love to uh, shoot my bow and arrow, which I still have, but I've never been able to go on a sh 
to hunt. I don't know if I'll ever go on a hunt, but I want to. Um, so I'm gonna have some people on here that hunt. I just want to talk about it. You know, I don't want to get all gruesome and group, but I just I know that some of the hunters that I've talked to they say that there's this thing when you go hunting and the hunter gatherer instinct that men have, and there's something about going home, going out into the woods, hunting an animal, killing it, um, and then bringing it home to your family. I want to do that. Because he said you just appreciate that much. Even me, when I catch a fish and I eat it, I'm like, yeah, I'm the man, you know. So <laughs> I wonder what it's gonna be like to take, you know, do that with a deer. And I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use as much of it as I possibly can. Be, you know, do what a hunter does. I mean, we all eat meat, right? Well, not all of us, but the ones that do, it's coming from somewhere. So I'm a meat eater. And I want to do it, and uh, I'll just make sure everyone gets some of the meat, as it won't go to waste. So I'm going to have hunters on here, and I'm just going to, I mean, the point is really, I'm just going to have anybody on the show that can have good conversation, that can um, give you some insight into the world, and kind of let you know how they're doing things on the level that they're doing them, and why they're doing them on the level that they're doing them. And I kind of hope that, and I know that, because I've gotten the feedback that some of the conversations I've already had, people are walking away with their own thought. But I want people to know the impact that jujitsu has on me, has had on me, and can have on you, and has had on others. Because one thing that I've learned is that we're all, the mat has taught me this, being on the mat. That's what we call it, um, because we roll, and rolling is a, us call is a way of sparring um, in jujitsu. It's practice. So when you roll with someone, you grapple with them, and you're, you're rolling, you're, um, you're running a simulation fight. Uh, that's what rolling is. And you do that on a mat. And when you're on a mat, everyone's the same. It doesn't matter if you're a doctor. It doesn't matter if you're a lawyer. It doesn't matter if you're a martial artist or you're not a martial artist. If you're on the mat and you're rolling, everyone is equal. And I learned that because of the conversations that come out. When you're rolling with a, um, a lawyer, a chiropractor, or you're rolling with an engineer, or you're rolling with a telemarketer, or you're rolling with a sales manager, or you're rolling with a comedian or you're rolling with a musician they're all the same they're all people male and female and you all have the same fears and you all have the same we all have the same body mechanics and no one's better than anybody you know just because i'm strong and i'm tall that means i'm probably slower not as flexible and just because i'm not as flexible that probably means that you can get through things that I can't get through and you can manipulate me in a way I can't manipulate you and vice versa it's just your strength and weaknesses everyone's different and that's how it is with life and that's how it is with conversation that's how it is with occupations everyone's the same um, we just decide to wake up and put on different uniforms and play different roles but that doesn't mean that we can't benefit from some of the conversations that we can have uh, one of the guests I want to have on will uh, a very intelligent young man. Uh, one of the fortunate for me, I'm able to call him a training partner at C-Corps. Um, he's trying to become a police officer. And it's awesome because he's black. And I can say that because I'm black. I'm going to be African-American. I can say black. Um, but it's going to be an awesome conversation because I remember having a conversation with Will about being harassed because we have tent and it's an excuse for cops to pull us over and how they talk to us once they pull us over. And my experience and Will's experience with cops is different than some of our other friends, but we are very much aware of how cops 
treat us because we're black. And that's going to be a good conversation because he wants to be a cop. And I am one of the people that know that not all cops are bad. I've had some awesome cops. I've also had some racist cops. And I've also had some assholes that were going to be an asshole to me as much as they're going to be an asshole to, to Peter, Paul, assuming they're all white, Peter and Paul, which I do know black Peter. And I do not know black Paul. But um, if you know black Paul, let me know. Uh, but I do not know black Paul. But anyway, the point is, they're just assholes in general. And there's just people that are that way. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, so I'm going back to that. Actually, you know what? I want to come back and talk about the support. You know, I have to thank everybody that's listening to this. Everybody that subscribed. Everybody that sent me some feedback. Everybody that I train with over at Mad Seacores. The love has been absolutely amazing. The support has been absolutely amazing. And it's just inspiring me to keep pushing this thing to the next level. Uh, I remember when I was just about, I was thinking about doing this, and everybody that at Secors that told me they would listen or told me that they would be a guest on the show, they did just that. You know, those are going to be some of the most important guests that are going to be on this show. It doesn't matter who I get. It doesn't matter if I get Joe Rogan on the show. Some of the most important people that are going to be on the show are the people that I train with because they are the ones that really push me to to take this thing to the next level. They're the ones that kind of didn't kind of, that did believe in me and did agree to come on the show and give me whatever support they possibly could. And even if it was just downloading an episode or subscribing to my channel, they did. They said they would, and they didn't. That's one thing I like about training with jujitsu, having a jujitsu family. People that train martial arts are just different people. They're, they say they're going to do something, and they do it. And that's what sets them apart. And if you are listening to this and you don't train jujitsu and you can go through all your friends and say to yourself, you know, do I have a friend that when I, when they say they're going to show up at 7 o'clock or at 6 a.m. in the morning to train, to do something I want to do that's going to benefit me, do they do it? And when I can tell you that going through my roster of people that I train with at that gym, in my, my mental roster right now, that everybody, that if when it comes to training, when it comes to needing a friend, when it comes to just needing family, when it comes to needing love, when it comes to needing support, if I need them, if I dial them and say, hey, I'm here and I need this, come and help me, they, they, they would, I would have had them at hey, you know what I mean? And uh, that, then that's how I, that's how I can talk about my family over at Seacores. I don't know about anybody else's family, and I haven't been able to train uh, in the last two months because of an injury that I had. Rightfully so. Um, but when I get back in there, I can, it's going to be awesome. But I miss those guys over there. And I know a lot of the support's coming from them, so I really appreciate it. Then I appreciate it to those people that just are my friends and uh, just want to see me do well. And, you know, like the guys over at Sticker Mule, I appreciate the love. Um, a lot of the promotional stuff that I've been using to get the word out there, it's all been through Sticker Mule. Those guys do an awesome job. Their products are absolutely amazing. And I'm not saying that just to say it. I'm saying it because I got one of their stickers that I put on my car. It's rained already five or six times. I washed the car three. Stickers glistening. You know, uh, the magnet, I can't even pull it off of my fridge. Uh, that's how strong their magnets are. And, I mean, their, their sticker, the, as far as the bright, how bright the colors were, I mean, you can see my logo from across the room with some of the stickers with the big ones that I have. And it's just, you know, the contrast is great. So... I can't big those guys up enough. Great product. Every time, not every time, 
but every time with me, <laughs> um, they promised me a delivery date that was eight days out and they delivered sooner than that. So I, I can't complain. And I've, I've ordered stickers, magnets, buttons, um, stickers, magnets, buttons, and what else? Yeah, that's, I mean, I've ordered everything from these guys and just, everything just come in clutch. So I'm really happy with that. So I really appreciate those guys. And then I appreciate the people that are just, you know, walking up to you and saying, hey, you, heard, you ever heard of this podcast? You listen to the podcast and you start to listen. There's a lot of good, there's a lot of good content going to come out of this podcast. And I hope, you know, I, I said to myself when I was putting this whole thing together, what's the purpose? And to be honest with you, the purpose is just one person. One stranger, not someone that I know, not someone that I currently train with, just one person that I never knew, never met before this podcast came into existence, coming out to me and telling me that because of listening to your podcast, I started doing X, Y, Z. Now, don't say X, Y, Z because that doesn't mean anything, but X could be hunting or jujitsu or comedy or whatever. Write a book, you know, start poetry, go to an open mic, any of those things. If one person comes up to me and tells me that because of listening to things that I said or a conversation that I had and it had that type of impact on them, then then this whole thing's worth it. And that's my goal. That's the purpose. And I, I originally thought, you know, I just want to do it for jujitsu. Then I was like, I love comedy too. Then I was like, I like hunting. Then I was like, well, I like games. Then I was like, I like sports. Then I was like, what's good? All of that is good. So it all qualifies. This is my podcast. And hold on. Who do I got to check in with? Me. So I got, I'm good. I can talk about all that. And then all the conversations as long as they're interesting. Um, why not? And if they're not, you guys will let me know. You guys will give me the feedback. But so far, I'm doing pretty good with the host, like the guests I've had. I have a, a nice roster of um guests, some really special, special, special um, guests that I'm really looking forward to having the conversations with. You know, one of them is actually Bill Keller. I have six weeks to get this man on this show. Uh, I don't know if I kind of got him to agree to it. But with Bill Keller is always joking around, so you never know what what you can expect. But if I can get him on the show, it's a real treat, and this is why. Either I'm going to get him on the show, or I'm going to get some of his recordings of him talking on the show. And why would I do that? Because this man is a legend within legends, amongst legends. Um, and who are those legends? Jay Leno. Um, he worked for the. He wrote with um, Eddie Murphy. He. Um, who else did he write with? He wrote for the Saturday Night Saturday Night Live show. He wrote for the Late Night show. Um, I mean, he's been working on now. He's working on projects for comedians on Netflix specials. I mean, Bill Keller is probably one of the only comedians that work with the legends that you just don't hear about, and he's proud to just not be heard about because he's very happy with where he is in his life. But he's the one person that let me realize that all right so let's let's back up let's back up so how did i get into this comedy thing i've always wanted to do comedy always been a comedian 
when I was younger, I used to disrupt class um, because I wanted the attention. And one day, one of the teachers, Mrs. Dewey, I'll never forget this, I was in Dorothy Nolan, I think it was in what, probably what, fourth or fifth grade, and Ms. Dewey told me, because I would always interrupt her class, that, listen, if you can just go through the whole class without disrupting the class at all, then I will give you the last five minutes of class to perform. So the purpose of that was to get me to kind of get shell-shocked and not perform and just say, okay, fine, and then just not disrupt the class, then not being asked at the end of the five minutes, but that's not what happened. I ended up performing, and I'm loving it. And I'm going home and then working on skits and coming home and going back to class and nailing them. I loved it. I loved the attention. Uh, I think that lasted for about a week, and then she told me to stop. Uh, I didn't. But I respected her, and she respected me, and she recognized my talent. And I didn't really do much with it except for be class clown throughout all my high school years and get voted class count and then when I got out of college when I got out of high school with a um, it was like a 67.9 GPA uh, I realized I had to grow up and get into the real world go to a community college for two years get a really high GPA so I could go to RPI and then get this really serious job so I could pay for RPI <laughs> uh, so then I didn't really have much time for comedy and then you get married, and then, you know, life just kind of takes over. And then you get divorced, and you can kind of take over your life. And in taking over my life, I wanted to pursue comedy. And in doing jujitsu, I kind of had built this, uh, not barrier, but I kind of built this, my confidence is what I built back up. And so I wanted to try it on stage. And I did. And I learned a lot about myself and it ended up being a really, really great experience. So to start that experience, what I did was I reached out because what I've learned through having mentors is the best thing to being successful is to have a mentor. So I actually reached out to someone that had had really what I thought was really credible um, achievements comically. And I saw that she'd been doing comedy for 13 years. So I reached out to her and she told me that the best thing that I could do to get this process started for comedy was to take a class. So being serious, she gave me take a class, then do open mics, and then um, after that you kind of have an idea whether or not you want to do it or not. So what happened, which is a, I think it was fortunate, is I was ready to do an open mic within a month. I didn't know what that meant. So to me, doing an open mic was getting in front of a large group of people and just acting a fool. There wasn't really much preparation in it. Luckily, because I had talk, spoken with a mentor, she told me that you know it's really good to write your stuff down, we'll review it, and kind of go through to make sure that you know you're prepared. So we had met for lunch and we went over some of my jokes, but we didn't read it line by line and just went over the concepts of the jokes because I really didn't know them line by line. And the concepts were all really funny things, you know. That was one thing, a concept and then the actual jokes were two different things. Um, the day that it was time for me to go to perform at the open mic at Savory in Albany, there was a power outage. It's a strange power outage because it only affected um, Savory and like five other five other um, restaurants, I believe, on that street, whatever that street is. Um, but anyway... 
I'm trying to think of the street because it's bothering me now, but it, it it really doesn't matter. Lark, yeah, Lark Street. So it was a it was a strange power outage. I wasn't able to go up on stage, and I was really disappointed because I wanted to perform everything that I'd worked on for that month. It wasn't even a month, actually. It was two weeks. And I think I had about four minutes of material. But remind you, it wasn't, it wasn't down pat. So what happened is since we weren't able to do the open mic, I'd signed up for classes, got busy with work, so I wasn't able to do an open mic before classes started. So I did the order differently. Instead of doing the open mics and then classes, I did class before open mic, which is very, I'm very happy that I did. Um, because I started doing the classes and I started learning what it really means to be prepared for an open mic, to, to be prepared for comedy, to write a joke, to structure a joke, how to place it within your joke order. Uh, everyone feels that when comedians are going up on stage and they're walking around on the stage or they're sitting down on the stool that they're just going off the cuff that they're not memorizing this stuff and they're not memorizing it it's more than memorizing they're literally acting out every single line but listen every line that chris rock says or any of these professionals that are on stage that are doing it and making a living they know every word that they're going to say every pause every breath everything they're doing is pre-scheduled and rehearsed a thousand times before they get on that stage and if you think they're thinking up there, they're not. They are, but they're not. It's more reflexes up there. And they're in a zone. And to get in that zone, it takes a lot of practice, a lot of preparation, which is a lot of preparation, which is a lot of failure. And that's why I appreciate it on such a different level. I actually wish I didn't do comedy classes or know comedy the way that I know it now because... I don't appreciate it the same way. Comics, they don't laugh. <laughs> you know, they laugh, but they don't laugh the same way. Like when they're watching a comedian for the first time and they're taking in their act, a lot of times they're not laughing on the outside, but on the inside they're dying. And that's how I take it in because now as I'm watching a show or watching someone perform, I'm seeing it from a different perspective. I'm seeing it from a different eye. I'm watching the cues. I'm watching the timing. I'm looking at the callbacks. I'm looking to see, you know, what mechanics they're using to pull off certain illusions or what misdirections they're using. It's really a beautiful thing. It's an art when you're up there, you know. People, remember I got into an argument. It wasn't much of an argument, but there was an artist who paints and uses his hands to express himself. And I remember him, me telling him that I was a martial artist, and he said, well, I shouldn't be artist on the top of that. It's too violent. So well, there's violent artists out there as well. Like, there's artists out there that their whole idea of painting is to express how angry they are inside. So why is that any different? If I'm using my hands and my and someone's body as my canvas, how is that any different? It's still a martial artist. It's still a form of expressing yourself. It's just a lethal form of expressing yourself. And he didn't get it, but I think it was only because he didn't want to. Um, I mean, if you don't think that when Conor McGregor goes out there and he's putting on that performance and he's moving a certain way, look at the way a dancer moves. That's an artist within itself. The only thing that's different is that he's striking and his movements is a result of his movements. Someone's being hurt. And because of the efficiency or how proficient he is with his movements, that that strike can result in someone dying. That's why the marshal's being turned, you know, whatever. But...
Um, <laughs> you just, just got frustrated with myself. But it's it's an easy concept to understand. I don't know why more people don't understand that. But yeah. So anyway, so jujitsu was a huge played a huge role in um, me wanting to get into comedy, me motivating, being a motivating factor to do it. And as I did it, um, got into class. I was very fortunate to meet Bill Keller. When I first met him, he walked in with his swagger. His <laughs> he walked in like a, like a penguin would walk in. I'm not making fun of him, not disrespecting him, but that's what he walked in. You know, just picture how a penguin, you know, moves down, shuffles down its way down an aisle with his, you know, Mets hat on and um, else they have his suitcase. He sat there and he just seemed so quiet, you know. And I was just like $300 down the tube, right? Um, but then he started to speak. And that's when the magic happened. Because when he started to speak about working with Eddie Murphy and, you know, preparation with Jane Leno and some of the tips that Jerry Seinfeld gave him, it's absolutely, you just, you just, you're just quiet. If you're smart, you're quiet and you just listen because you know that this person has wisdom that when he passes, it's just going to go with him. So you want to observe as, absorb as much as that wisdom as you possibly can um, while you're in his presence, while you're graced to be in his presence. It really is. It's not even being a smart ass about it. He really is. The man is so good at making people funny and understanding what humor is. Like it's it's hard to make people funny, man. There's though there's like this guy is so good. You know that the, the everybody has that person that thinks he's funny and you just want to tell him shut up. This man actually makes that person funny. That's how talented he is. And I want to bring him on to just to just give you some perspective on his outlook on life, his outlook on comedy, his the way that comedy impacted him. I remember him telling me that comedy saved his life and got him laid and he got him paid. He didn't say it like that like as a rhyme, but I mean, the man made a living off of comedy. He obviously met a lot of females off being funny. Um, he worked with some very, 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 very successful people. He was very successful within himself. Um, and it probably got him out of his mass beatings, like he said. I know it got me out of some mass beatings. You know, growing up where I grow, people still ask me, how did you survive in Saratoga being the only black? I wasn't the only black. I mean, there were like three more of us <laughs> uh, growing up in Saratoga. But um, a lot of it was comedy when I did run across that bully, you know. Uh, just being able to make the guy laugh long enough for him not to beat my ass. Or decide not to beat my ass overall just because I was funny. was played a big role in keeping me from not getting my ass beat. Uh, but bullies didn't just pick on me. They picked on a lot of people. I was fortunate with the school that I went to. Not because of the school, Saratoga. But because of the kids that were in school with me. The people that were in the classes above me. And the people that were in the classes with me. We just did, and the kids, the Gill boys, like even the kids below me, they just didn't put up with that shit. Like it wasn't something that went down in Saratoga. It did, it existed in Saratoga, but in the high school, like if it ever came my way, it was dealt with quick before I could even do anything about it. It was the funniest thing ever. Um, I remember people getting beat up for calling me things I didn't even know they called me. 
<laughs> that's just how that's how the school was back then. It was different. Times were different back then. But I definitely in elementary school was one of the only kids that were black. I did get targeted because of that. But the people got dealt with. <laughs> you know, there was like one bully, and you guys will hear me talk about him more and more. But he's not a bully anymore. I'll tell you that. I'm a big boy now. Uh, so things are a little different, but, um, yeah, there were only a few bullies that got away with shit, and I, I don't even, and that, that only lasted for elementary school, so I was very lucky, I was very fortunate to have to deal with that, Saratoga showed me a lot of love in a lot of ways, um, showed me a lot of hate, but for as far as my friends were concerned, and the people that I surrounded myself with, and they showed me a lot of love, and, um, I got hated on for a lot of shit, but as far as that racism stuff, we had to... Didn't, didn't fly. Um, well, yeah, some interesting stories about that. But I want to have Bill Keller on because um, not only that, but just to some of the stories that he talks about and, and when he tells you about comedy and where you got to dig to become funny and what, how to look at things and find the comedy and things. He just has a really interesting perspective. And at the end of the day, it's really about how hard you're willing to work, you know. He said that uh, Jerry Seinfeld used to write a hundred pages just to get ten jokes so that he could try out on stage. Now, when I think back, I don't think that was Jerry Seinfeld. I think it was Woody Allen. But the point is, um, yeah, if Jerry, if Woody Allen has to write a hundred, a hundred jokes, which resulted in a lot of pages. But they mean a hundred jokes the guy would have to write to come up with ten jokes that he could try on stage to result in maybe two that he could use in an act. That's work ethic right there. You know? It's work ethic. But Jerry Seinfeld, he used to write one hour every day. And that sounds real simple, but just try it. Just try to write one hour every day. And then try to be success successfully is have all the commitments, all the means, and then try to find to write one hour every day. He has to wake up at five five in the morning. I can't, I can do it. Just this five in the morning thing is killing me. I can't, uh, I'm trying to do it. But I'm, not, I'm just not doing very good at it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's what it takes. And he's just, he's been around the people that have worked that hard. He's been around, he's been, he's talked about being in car rides with Eddie Murphy. I want you guys to hear about stuff like that. To just to know that there's that legend around here. That if you do want to start doing comedy and you want to take it serious, that even if you live two hours away, working with this guy is worth it because he's really going to let you know at the end of the day whether or not you can do comedy. And I'm glad that I did the course because, and I'm doing it again, because if I would have went into my first open mic the way that I thought I was prepared, I would have never done comedy because I wasn't nowhere near as prepared as I needed to be. And I don't think I, it would be fair to expect my mentor to have me prepared, especially with how solid the, the concepts were. But you're just, you're just not prepared, you know? And I feel sad for the people that I see at some of these open mics that they go there, they see the sign-up sheet so they don't sign up. Then they send the audience, they watch five people go up and just get a huge reaction. And then, you know what? They can do it, I can do it. And then they get brave and then they go up and then they realize how unprepared they are. And they never do it again because no one laughs. Because they don't have any jokes. They're just talking. People think because they can have conversations with their friends that and make their friends laugh that they can be a comedian. Or 
People love to say, oh, you're a stand-up comedian? Tell me a joke. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work that way. Like, that's a joke within itself. It doesn't work that way. It's one thing to be able to make your friend laugh that knows you for 10 years and knows all your and it knows all your little whatever quirky things that you do and knows your personality and yeah, I'm just going to laugh at you because he's your friend and he's laughing at you and tells you you're hilarious because that's what you want to hear versus an audience that just paid $50 to watch you stand in front of them and make them laugh. So same thing for an open mic. It's comedians that aren't going to laugh anyway because a lot of them are working on their own material. That's what open mics are for. That's why people don't go to open mics expecting to get laughs. But then a first comedian that's trying it for the first time is going there expecting to get laughs. It's you're setting yourself up for failure, that's all. And that's why I'm glad that I didn't use that as a way to determine whether or not I was going to get into comedy. Is that I took this course. And I hope that people that are listening, if you're sitting there and you're thinking about doing comedy and you listen to this or you listen to Bill Keller or you listen to um, just more of these episodes with the people that I'm interviewing that are interacting with Bill and you're thinking about taking uh, the leap into comedy that you'll consider taking his course. It's um, usually a six or eight week program. You meet once once a week for three to four, four hours and you write jokes and you have one of the industry's best. I mean, Pearson, people that are someone that has literally written and wrote or given advice to Jerry Springer, Jay Leno, I mean, <laughs> Joan Rivers. Come on, these are legends. So um, I hope there's just through the interactions with this podcast and listening to some of the conversations I have with the guests or just my weekly updates about the class that um, you guys will get inspired to kind of jump on that bandwagon whenever that opportunity presents itself for one of Bill Keller's comedy classes. So to update you guys on that as well, um, the October 25th show was obviously canceled. Um, I just started the new class, October 27th, and the show is going to be on December 2nd. It's going to be in Saratoga at the Comedy Works. I think it's at 7 o'clock, but as the day gets closer, I'll update you guys more accordingly. Uh, I'll also be letting everyone know through my Facebook when and my Instagram when tickets become available so stay tuned for that and it's going to be a great show i mean bill's not going to let us go up there with less than awesome material i am super excited because i know a lot of people are going to be coming out to see me a few people showed up last actually there was a lot of people that showed up for me last time too so this is just going to be a bigger show i know it is and then after that like i said i'm big on speaking into existence so i might as well just like announce my plans then then it's going to be heavy then the podcast should be, I should have by then um, at least, I don't know, at least 15 episodes. That'll be pushing me into the Clash of the Comedians, which is going to be taking place at the Funny Bone. So I'm going to be announcing that on Facebook as well. I need your support. The way that works is that the comic that can bring the most guests gets on the show. I believe it's 11 comics with the most um, guests get to compete. And the comic at the end of the night with the most votes wins the clash. So I plan on taking that down. After I take that down, I also plan on competing in the Mohegan Sun. I guess they have also a show out there. So hopefully this will be reaching out towards Connecticut so I can start to develop a fan base out there. And you guys can come and see me perform. Plus, I know I got a lot of love from the school and just friends and family around here that will be more than willing to drive out to see me. So that will be fun as well. And... um 
yeah, that's it for now. But those are really what I'm focused on as far as the comedian stuff. And what do I want? Do I want to make a living? Do I want to? I don't know. I want to go as far as it'll take me. I want to have fun doing it. I want to keep doing it as long as I'm having fun. Same thing with the podcast. Would I love to be sitting at home and doing this? No, I'd love to be in a baller ass studio doing this. <laughs> Game paid. But right now, this is this is great because, like I said, I'm interacting with some awesome people. I'm learning the um, the art or business of podcasting. Um, I'd say I have a white belt right now. I don't even have a stripe. But I plan on getting my black belt in this. And they say the black belt takes at least 10 years. So I have some work to do. Pleasantly so. Um, so what else? What else we got going on? Before I go, I wanted to talk about something that's really important and it's come up a lot. And I'm having friends that are kind of struggling with it. I'm sure other people are struggling with it out there too. And it's a hard thing to talk about because um, it's so real, but people just don't. They kind of ignore it. And it's it's the hardest thing to do, and it's to be yourself, being yourself. Who are you? What makes you tick? What makes you different from everybody else? Why aren't you comfortable with it? Now, I, I don't know what it is for everybody else, but I know that I'm the happiest when I feel like I'm being myself. And the hardest thing about being yourself is the fact that sometimes it means that you have to be selfish. Sometimes it means that you have to take certain people that are in your life and kind of change how much of an impact they have over your life. Because so many people are kind of stifling who they are because of somebody else in their life that they're trying to make happy, that they'll never be able to make happy. And as hard as it is for you to admit that or realize that you're in that position, which most of us are, um, until you can admit that or identify that, it's going to be hard for you to become who you are. Uh, Lately, I've been making an exaggerated effort to kind of achieve that and doing things like the podcast and having conversations with people that, you know, unfortunately, just because of how busy life is, a lot of these conversations is if I didn't have it on the podcast, I probably wouldn't even be able to interact with some of these people for an hour, an hour and 40 minutes. Just because life is so busy. You get caught up with working out, training, um, rental properties, relationships with friends. and You lose track of the things that are really important to you. And some of them are people that you interact with or used to interact with and you can't. Or you wouldn't be able to reach out because... You just don't make the time. And one thing that I'm very fortunate is with this podcast, it forces me to make time for people that I care about. And a lot of the guests I'm going to be bringing on, I care about, I respect, I interact with on a regular basis. And being able to, and through other interactions or previous conversations, I realized that this person has something that I want other people to kind of witness um, or benefit from. And that's when, you know, a lot of the conversations that you're going to see with a lot of my guests, it's them being themselves in that moment. Them just being raw about what, what gets them fired up and what they like, what are their passions. If you ask people, a lot of people, what's your passion? Ask yourself that. A lot of people don't even know. A lot of people don't, aren't honest enough to know what it is they want. It's such, it's, 
it's, it's hard to do that. And jujitsu hasn't taught me that. That's just being in touch with reality and being aware of it because you get lost. You know, you get lost in a relationship, you get lost in a job, you get lost in a situation, and that situation can kind of overwhelm you for years at a time, and you don't realize it. And before you know it, you look up and you don't know who you are. You don't know what makes you happy. And until you can be yourself, you'll never be happy. And I think a lot of depression is when someone has really lost who that person is. I'm not preaching. I'm not trying to turn this into a therapy session. I'm just saying that, you know, if something's off with you, something doesn't feel right, if you're waking up and you're feeling a funky way, a lot of it's because I think based on what I've experienced is because you're kind of losing touch with who you are and you got to find who you are. And once you find it, stick with it. Because more people like that, and that's what I like about jujitsu because it makes you confident enough to be who you are. It it makes you confident enough to express who you feel like being, you know? And just a lot of people, unfortunately, aren't able to do that. And I'm happy and I'm fortunate. It's part of the one of the best gifts is being American is that you can do that within a certain extent, but a very large extent. You're not an asshole. And even then, sometimes you can still do it. But I just, I don't know, I just, one of the things when I tell guests that are coming on the show when we're having the conversation is that I want them to be themselves. Because I feel like that's where everyone can benefit. Because if you're like everybody else and you're regurgitating the same thing, then there's no benefit from it. Just put your ear to the wall and listen to what everybody else is saying. But when you come on the show and you relax and you talk about what motivated you to get into fighting or what motivated you to get into comedy or what was the first hunt like? Like, what did you feel? What was your heart doing? What did you smell? What did you see? What was your, what was your, your mind? What were your thoughts going on? And some people... It might be too much for them, so don't listen to that episode. But the same thing was that I'm going to talk about the first time I was on the mat. And a guy that was bigger than me had me pinned, and I couldn't breathe. And just his weight, his pressure, him applying all of his weight, just trying to center all of his weight in the center of my chest, made me want to tap, but I didn't. And then talking about why I didn't. And then talking about how not tapping then when I was in competition made me feel like not tapping. And just developing that type of mentality over and over and over again through practicing on a daily basis, through going through practice at jujitsu, you begin to become callous to giving up at anything that you try. That type of like muscle memory in real life through training, the right training, like I'm not much of a CrossFit person. But I respect CrossFit people because of their level of determination. And if they're that determined when they're working out there, then if you're competing with someone for a sale or you're competing with someone in a courtroom or they're your doctor, their level of determination is going to be a little bit different than someone that doesn't exert that type of physical and mental activity throughout the day on a regular basis. I mean, it's just common sense. Um but when it's applied, it's just ridiculous. And then the whole power of speaking things into existence, and the whole power of focus, positive thinking, it's all powerful stuff. And a lot of these people that I'm going to be talking to that are successful, that are experts, that are living a good life, 
when I say living a good life, living the life that they want to live, it's a lot of it's going to be because of this way of thinking, because of their attitude and their approach, their discipline. Um, I plan on having my professor, Matt Secor, on the show. That's going to be a crazy, crazy episode in the sense that you're going to learn a lot about the professor and what makes him tick and his approach towards fighting and his approach towards life and his approach towards success and his approach towards failure. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an inspiring conversation. And then I'm going to get Eddie Fivey, <laughs> who was my professor's professor. Um, and he's going to be on the show. And he's going to talk about the same things. And he also was um, a fighter, UF MMA, professional fighter, just like Mr. Secor is a professional fighter. So their perspective. And you're also going to be talking to, listening to these host these guests that I'm going to be having this month before they fight and just see the little the difference and the intricacies and their approach professional versus an amateur an amateur versus a professional it's amazing but it's equally inspiring so so I think that's I think all those things are going to make for really good high quality uh, content for you guys to walk away from um like I said, all these people that I plan on my show, I have a tremendous amount of respect for. So I'm I'm very very happy and honored, kind of honored to be to say that I'm going to be interviewing some of these people. Um, but yeah, for right now I think that's pretty much it. Thanks to everybody, especially my guys over at Sticker Mule. Showed some love to the family over at Seacores, and kind of let everybody know that's what's more or less coming on the show. What do they expect? type of episodes moving forward you guys can reach out to me with voicemails if you'd like at um, anchor just set up an account send me a voicemail i might even play it on the show i'm already starting to get some questions uh since this is going to be a weekly podcast for myself i'll definitely be doing more solo shows and i'll get better at it it's my first show i think i did pretty damn good if you ask me <laughs> so ask me <laughs> uh but uh yeah that's it for now that's what's up thank you for tuning in please hit that subscribe button and i'll see you again next week peace